Brother Kevin Rhodes, uh, married to the very capable wife, Tracy, they have two wonderful girls, still two, okay? <laughs> they have grown up. They were little teeny things, much like Jocelyn. Anyway, all of a sudden they grow up, they get out the house, so train them up, train them well. Uh, Kevin has been here a number of times. Um, you might remember Oren, his father, been here also a number of times. He conducted a preacher training class for us. That was a lot of fun. He's since passed, so uh, continue to keep the family in your prayers. Kevin is now, uh, after, uh, after much learning and education and, and capable teaching, he's now Brown Trail uh, School of Preaching. Did I get that right? Yeah, he's the director. I wanted to call you president. <laughs> El Presidente. He's the director down there at Brown Trail, uh, another school of preaching. So uh, for those young men who may be thinking about that, there's another opportunity, as well as Tennessee Bible College and, and any number of them. So Kevin is going to bring us lesson four from 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. The malice of Ahab and Jezebel. Kevin. Thank you, Rob. It is always so good to be with you. I have enjoyed it every time. I love to come up here, look forward to it. And sometimes we vacation up here, and we always try to find our way to this congregation. So thankful for your soundness and your faithfulness in the work. And uh, it is, I do appreciate the words about my dad. He, this work, this congregation meant a lot to him. He, his heart was here in so many ways, as I'm so, sure some of you know. And I mentioned to uh, Mona last night that uh, he began, he was off the first lectureship. This is number 26. My dad spoke on the very first lectureship. He was just about the age I am now, which uh, really reminds us of how time flies. So please turn in your Bibles as we begin to 1 Kings chapter 21. Ahab had a problem. Now his problem was that he wanted something that was really nice, that was right next door that he did not get to have. He goes over and he talks to his neighbor, nicely, I'm sure, would you please like to sell your property to me, Naboth? Naboth says, no. Now, to understand and appreciate that no from Naboth is to understand it was his inherited property. Now, you go back to Leviticus 25 and verse 23, and you find there that as a part of the law, this was not something that was done. When they had to sell out of poverty to give up that homeland, to give up that time, it would then only return in the time of the Jubilees, but it was designed as part of the inheritance because the land actually belonged to the Lord, not to the people. And so in this idea, and especially with Ahab and his background and his marriage, this was not going to be a good thing. Naboth simply was following the law and actually being true to the character of the law that Ahab was avoiding and standing opposed to. So Ahab had a problem. But Jezebel had a solution. Her answer was... This, this isn't any big deal. All we have to do is, as we go ahead, Ahab goes home, tells his problem to his wife. She's very sympathetic to him, and he's pouting. And she says, what's the problem? He says, Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. And she looks at him like, that is not really a problem for you. You're the king. I'll take care of it for you. She sends letters. 
to the people of Jezreel. And here we got this idea of where they're located here. We've already seen Jezreel. Here we are, send down to the nobles, to the important people, people in charge. You set Naboth up, you set him. When we say set him up, we're really going to set him up because we're going to put him up, treat him as important, have two people come in and say he's blasphemed God. We're going to take him out and you stone him to death, which they then subsequently do. Ahab is guilty of murder. Now, he did not throw a stone, and he wasn't the one that gave the order. But he was guilty. Naboth's death produced a victim as a result of malice. And what you find Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 26, what begins is malice, it should be no surprise, ends is murder. Because they are rooted in the same heart. This is when Elijah comes on the scene to tell Ahab, God knows. He knows what you did. He knows why. And you are going to answer. And at that point, Ahab humbles himself. Now we need to appreciate this path is what malice lays out for us. This is where it takes us. Whenever we feel ill will towards someone, so that wishing some kind of harm, and it does not have to be murder, friends, some kind of harm seems appropriate and right. That kind of vicious disposition is malice. But have you ever considered what led Ahab to this point emotionally? Maybe Ahab, I would suggest to you, was engaging in retail therapy. Emotional spending. Some of you may be familiar with it. Now, I want to explain what this is. This is when you go out and buy something to make you feel better. Y'all ever wonder why preachers have so much, so many books in their library? <laughs> retail therapy. After he married Jezebel... And set up an altar to Baal, 1 Kings chapter 16. God sent them the drought we've seen already in 1 Kings chapter 17. Then when Elijah confronts him and the priest of Baal on Mount Carmel, it was a devastating defeat and the drought ended, chapter 18. And then as you see, as Jezebel is on the hunt for Elijah, that's recorded in 1 Kings 19, there was a reason for this problem and all the hatred and the animosity. But then what we find in chapter 20 was that in this intervening time, then that God provided an Israel a victory, delivery from Ben-Hadad in Syria, only then to see Ahab make a treaty with him. That's what you find in that chapter. And when God points out that this was a problem, the last thing you see on his mind, if you'll back up to chapter 20 and verse 43, it says this. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. He's been in battle. Things were going well. But he didn't get exactly what he was want. He was told something he didn't want to hear. And he's pouting again. It's that same wording that shows up in our chapter now when he's told no by Naboth. He was already in a bad mood. So Ahab was upset on the approach, trying to fix his upset. 
when he doesn't get what he wants. And as a monarch, even though he was exercising, or thought he was exercising power, God, through Elijah, comes on the scene and tells him otherwise. He wanted to feel better about himself. Now, don't tell me you've never been there. But Naboth's reply enforced the feelings of powerlessness. I can't do anything. And what I bring this up for is because it gets to our key of what malice is. How easily emotions and attitudes can lead us to very dark places. And that's what we're going to be looking at here. Ahab was upset. He was angry. He was frustrated. And then Jezebel shoved him over the edge. Doing what he did not consider himself, but willingly accepted. And that shows us something else. There are two sides to malice. Jezebel is active malice. Ahab's is passive malice. But they're both malice. He liked what he got out of the deal. He didn't complain that Naboth was killed because he got what he wanted. Malice is a combination of emotion and motive. It will justify almost anything for personal satisfaction. It can be extremely subtle, and it is extremely dangerous. And no one, no one is immune to its influence. So let's consider then again the text. The first thing we want to note here is looking at verses 1 through 5. Malice plays on a lack of contentment. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near. Give, I will give you a vineyard better than it or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into the house sullen and displeased. You notice that? Because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Pout. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? Oh, she was a caring woman. <laughs> Remember, you can have someone who is evil to the core that still behaves in normal ways and other things. It's the direction of their motivations that is the problem. The lack of contentment. The whole problem is I don't get what I want. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, okay, When what you want becomes more important to you than what is right, malice is right around the corner. That's the problem. Because it breeds arrogant presumption. I should get my way. You get upset at a store, you call them on the phone, I should get my way. We don't get what we want in the church, I should get my way. There is a presumption about it, and that creates problems. That's verses 1 through 3. There's an assumption of personal importance. Look at who I am. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Look at who I am. 
assumptions perhaps of a desired outcome. Here's what I expect to happen. And therefore what I expect to happen should happen. And if not, I'm going to get upset. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thou will be done. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Assumptions of my personal rights. This is a big one now. I have the right. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Or maybe thinking that other people's motivations are the same as my own or should be. Did you notice the assumption that Ahab made that because some money mattered to him, that that should be mattered more to Naoth? We think the motivations are the same. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Love of money is the root of all evil. Or just from failing to consider others' points of view. He did not think about what Naboth's ideas were or why that mattered. And a lot of times what gets us into trouble is we're going around looking around, assuming everyone thinks as we have, prioritizes what we do, and are going to have and want what we want. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Okay. It stirs up then, malice does, immature emotions in us. Because we want something so much, we treat failing to get it as a human tragedy. That's verse 4. So here's a news bulletin for you. Not getting what you want is pretty common as an occurrence in the world. If you hadn't realized that, Dealing with it well, on the other hand, is becoming less and less common. And it's something with which Christians need to become familiar. We're not going to get what we want. You think you're going to vote your way to get what you want in America? It's not going to happen that way. You're going to come a whole lot closer to getting what you want by praying for what you want. And therefore, because it's about what we want, we become overwhelmed with self-pity so that we don't think well anymore. He's just pitting himself, pouting about it. And he's upset. Paul is in prison in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, when he says, I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. That's what we have to be if we're going to avoid malice at its root. Second of all, we now look at verses 6 and 7 where Jezebel truly comes forward. In which it says, he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Now notice what she answers in verse 7. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. Just think about that for a second. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. If you focus in on what he is saying here, malice then, second of all, feeds off pride. Malice convinces you that others are less important or not important at all. And therefore they should not be considered. While we might think that this is reserved for the elites of society, I mean, all you little people out there, it's a problem everywhere. And that includes in the church. And we have to make sure that we don't get to where we think in those worldly terms inside the church. Sometimes it'll show up as cliques in a congregation. Now, cliques in congregations, I think, often form naturally, but they exclude others harshly. 
That is, people who have a lot of things naturally in common, they get together, they talk together, and therefore, we're, we're, just, we're just over here talking, and all of a sudden you have this little huddle of people. And don't you dare break the huddle. And so you end up with this idea of it becomes harsh because we're a elite group. Again, it doesn't start as that idea. It appears that way, though, to anyone from the outside. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 10 that's why Paul was pleading with their brethren. It doesn't matter how it's set up. They were proud of who baptized them. They were proud of the preacher that taught them. Is that a problem? Well, it became a problem because it became exclusionary. Because it created cliques. Because it hurt unity. That you all speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you. Doesn't matter the type, you make sure you deal with it at its core. Sometimes this problem appears in the form of rebuking sin. And here's where we have to have a real good balance. When the motive shifts from saving souls to self-righteousness. Now, Paul talked about this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if anyone be overtaken in a fault, sin, you which are spiritual, the ones who are right, and know better, mature, Restore such a one. Do what it takes to get that person right spiritually. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. It's not about you. Considering thyself, lest you also be tempted, it could become about you. See, we have to make sure that we keep our motives pure, even when we're dealing with people, preachers. It's hard when people are causing us problems in the congregation. To not be harsh toward them or hard on them more than others. We can't let that go to because we're right and they're wrong to keep us from helping them become right. Because that's our job. Okay? And guess what? According to Galatians 6 verse 1, it's all of our jobs. It can happen when fellowship is transformed from the joy of unity into a weapon of division. John 17, verse 21, Jesus prayed that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may be made one in us, that the world might believe that thou hast sent me. That's what Jesus wants. Now, we understand that there are certain doctrinal things that are a problem that people peel off and don't want to be associated with Jesus, and that's the key. They're not accepting being with Jesus, but we do not need to get in the business of shoving people away from Jesus. Okay, that's the key, too. Because then it's like it becomes a competitive nature that is happening way too much in the church right now. Malice goes to seed when you act based upon what you have the power to do rather than what you ought to do. You have to exercise the authority of a king. So when you're in a position of authority, it means you have greater responsibility in how you treat people. God had the power to destroy us, but he had the character to save us. And that should be the model we follow in all things. Sometimes people get a sense of superiority, and however subtle it may be, for different reasons, it allows them to justify the attitude in their own minds. But this is where the opposite attitude comes of meekness. Of Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now I know that a lot of regular and, and decent translations that are newer translate that as gentleness. I don't think that does it justice. Meekness is about a cause greater than self. And his point is, is that it's not about you. It's about giving your all into the cause of Christ so that what happens for Christ is always going to be important, whatever happens for you. 
It's why Moses was a very meek man. Because the cause of getting those people into Canaan mattered more than his own life. It's the reason why Jesus could say he was meek and lowly of heart because the cause of salvation was more important than preserving his own life. And we've got to make sure that the cause of other souls is more important than me getting what I want out of it. In the end, pride can take us to a point where we are happy about our malice. Did you notice this in the text? Be cheerful. Jezebel, just a little bit about her character, is planning a murder. And as part of the murder, she tells her husband, be happy, I'm plotting a murder. You can get to the point of where you're happy about your malice. Why? Because it restores the sense of power and control in life that you feel you've lost. This is, we all get here at times. This is why we have to be careful and realize we're all susceptible to it. There are times when life just runs out of control. You lose a job. You want to you want to hurt somebody over it. Look at that person over there that still has a job. He doesn't do anything down there. That's a story told many times. Probably right. We have to make sure, though, that we keep, we're dealing with us. Thirdly, verses 8 through 16. Malice treats people as enemies. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a, face, a fast and sit Naboth with high honor among the people, and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones till, so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. Do you notice she just made Naboth the villain here? So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Who could imagine a situation when a couple of witnesses could accuse someone of blasphemy and send them off to their execution? Sound familiar? Because that's what they did to our Lord. This foreshadows that in a way in the text. Malice reveals itself in the harm we are willing to inflict on another. That's verses 8 through 10. You know, we live in an age where people take offense at the smallest little thing. And then they use that as justification for destroying others. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the practice of doxing. Yeah, this has become really popular now in which what I'll do is if I don't like you and I can get some information on you, I'm going to publish all your information, your location, where you live, so that everyone else can go out and harass you. 
because I was offended. That wasn't murder. It was malice. In reality, then, this is just a pretense. Just as much as those false accusations against Naboth were. Because malice convinces us to punish our problems. Or the people who represent them instead of solving them. Punish our problems. And therefore it intensifies anger to justify wrath. And therefore I become judge. This is essentially what famous athletes do who invent and exaggerate offenses that they've had. Michael Jordan was famous for this. Everyone in the league had done something horrible to Michael Jordan just to give him a reason in his mind to make them pay. He invented things. Same idea. In the process, what happens though, malice devalues others' lives and souls while overvaluing other things. That's verses 11 through 14. The soul didn't matter. You know, this is the way any military prepares their soldiers to kill. I don't know if any of you have served. I know that Rob has. So watch out for him. <laughs> because you cannot be in a mind as a moral person and look out and see that person as a soul. You just can't. And so part of the practice, and this is why in some cultures especially, there's such an idea of, of the racism involved, of dehumanizing, that this, the, these are less than human. It's easy if you think about it in this way. The violence that occurs in certain movies that is the real people looks like they're getting killed versus what happens in Lord of the Rings when orcs are getting killed. You can, you can see an orc killed all day long. It's just an orc. But what happens... But what happens when you start treating people like works? You see, that's what malice does. Malice causes you to pull them down where they're at a different level, which allows us to treat them on a different level. And it creates problems for us. Malice treats people as obstacles to personal success. They're getting in our way. Isn't that what happened here? Naboth's in the way. That's verses 15 and 16. Professional jealousy, real problem, right? You know, ladder climbing, professional world, preacher world. And all of that happens because we begin to define success by worldly terms. We need to define success by spiritual terms, even as we preach against worldliness. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If your victory requires the defeat of another's soul, you need to reconsider what Christ accepted at the cross. In the end, we convince ourselves that people deserve our malice, which is the exact opposite attitude of the mercy that God shows us. Matthew chapter 5, 44 and 45. Number four, malice will be judged. Verses 17 through 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he's gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood. 
even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your prosperity, posterity, your posterity, and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out for the children of Israel. Malice will be judged. But first, let's notice where Ahab is. He is actually in the vineyard. He's taken possession. He's got what he wants. And he's about to get what he deserves. His moment of victory has just become his moment of judgment. Malice will be judged, notice, by the standard of God's word. Elijah comes not on his own, not to speak what he has to say. He's coming with the word of the Lord. And it's that message which judges him. And that's the message we need to take forward to people and say, this is why there's a problem. It's because God says there's a problem. God will therefore judge malice because the Lord knows even our hearts. It, it's hard. If I just look at you, can I see? I just look out there and say, now there's a malicious person. They just look it. No. Because malice, we can only see it when it plays out. You can't read the hearts, but God knows the hearts. God knew the motives. And he'll judge those too. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14. God will judge our spiritual choices, our actual decisions, behaviors, and motives. Not our justifications for them. Now, we can justify a whole lot. We come up with a pretty excuse as to why we're doing what we're doing. God knows the difference. In 1 Kings 22, verse 38, Ahab's judged. In battle, just as God said. Now, there's going to be something else coming, but God's judgment is sure. Malice has consequences just like any other sin. That's verses 21 through 24. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 29, we usually go over, and I originally was going to do this to demonstrate in a different way, because of the wording is important. Paul has many lists of sins, but I point you to Romans 1 verse 29 because it's where the what we think of as the most heinous kind of sins, uh, of sexual sins and, and, and murder, and they appear right next to malice. Malice has consequences just like any other sin. We think because it's hidden in the heart, we escape because its consequences are not as obvious. They are to God. And therefore, in what we find, verse 25, in judgment, there will be no excuses. There will only be reminders of our cost. In a world where so much blatant immorality surrounds us, we can easily forget the dangers posed by what lies within us. That's Mark 7, 21 through 23. Our attitudes in our heart will be judged too. And we can forget or ignore what God says 
But we will ultimately be reminded of exactly what God has said. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one to judge him. The word that I have spoken, the same should judge him in that last day. Jesus' own words in John 12, 48. So that brings us then to number five in the last three verses of our text. Verses 27 through 29. Malice can be forgiven. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity of his house. Now that can be hard to understand fully until you put the two together and then look at what happens. Ahab is going to be killed in battle. His blood is going to be licked up. Jezebel is going to be killed. Her blood's going to be licked up. But Ahab's son is going to reign. The full consequences were not held on to in that circumstance because of how Ahab responded. Yes, there is mercy even for malice. Why? Well, when you've been in these situations, it can be hard. There's mercy for malice because of the power of the blood of Jesus. And then we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. It is because of the change that true repentance brings. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10, godly sorrow produces repentance not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. There's a difference and the response, and there was with Ahab. It's also because of the heart of deep humility. We already heard James 4, verse 10. It is parallel in 1 Peter. But humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. To realize, at this point, Ahab was in no position to argue it was only the Lord's mercy that gave an allowance. And we ought to be appreciative of that allowance that we've received. Forgiveness is rooted in the same word of the Lord, friends, that brings judgment. Isn't it amazing how people feel that they can so casually toss aside God's word and what it says about judgment without realizing that they're tossing aside all the things about salvation and redemption too? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. Brethren, the path to malice is a lot shorter than we might like to think. If you've been wronged, you've probably been tempted to think or act maliciously, and I think all of us have been wronged at some time. But when we read this chapter, we tend to put ourselves in the place of Naboth or Elijah. But if we're to learn the lessons we really need to learn from this text, we need to see ourselves as Ahab and Jezebel. Or we miss the most powerful point in the passage. We are not above letting what we want influence what we do. We're not above that. We, too, 
can let pride justify harshness and mistreatment of others. We also can let petty disputes turn into battles and wars. And we too will be judged for it. But the beauty of God's plan is that even then, we can repent and be forgiven. Malice is a deadly heart problem. It destroys relationships. It divides congregations. It inflicts pain on the brotherhood. And it can destroy you too from the inside out. So do not allow any room for malice in your heart, but instead let truth and love fill you up so much that they move you, they motivate you, and they define you. Because that's when you are truly God's. And to overcome this at heart, it's a tough road, but it's a whole lot better than the path to malice. Appreciate your kind attention.